0: Welcome to The Nine Line, your news and information source for healthcare related issues impacting Southern Nevada veterans, and a production of the VA Southern Nevada healthcare system. And now, here's your hosts, John Archiquette and Joshua Gray.
1: Hi, you're listening to the Nine Line podcast. I'm your host, John Archiquette, and joining me, as always, is my co host, Joshua Gray hello how are you doing i'm doing well yeah we're off to a bang up start today (laughs) (laughs) uh so a lot of good stuff to talk about today we have two special guests from social work we got some really important things to talk about with them but first we want to go over a few of our uh, updates with our covid vaccine um this week has been a really big week as far as our vaccine distribution we for the first time we're doing uh shots in arms of the moderna and the Janssen or the johnson and johnson vaccine and uh It's been pretty successful so far. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah. And you know, the, the neat thing is, is we're doing it now at basically every major facility that we serve, we are giving vaccines there. Now we, uh, went out to Laughlin, uh, just here recently. And, uh, yeah, that was the last one. So we've completed the set.
1: Yeah, <laughs> achievement unlocked. <laughs> well, with you know, with the Janssen, it really allows us to to get out to some of the more rural areas, the things that we you know were maybe a little bit more restricted to by the the logistics of having to keep the the temperature and everything like that. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, not only have we been going out to all of our primary care clinics, but we were doing home based care as well this week,
2: which is amazing. Like you know, because we have some veterans that can't get out. Mm-hmm. Right, they're they're immobile for whatever reason. So being able to come to them just so that they can get the vaccine is yep. just amazing.
1: Yeah, and the the Janssen shot allows us to do a lot with uh, you know some of our uh, veterans who are homeless as well, and maybe are a little bit harder to track down with uh, getting that that second dose. So kind of talking about some of that subject, we've got two special guests here with us today. We have Polly Kong, who is the inpatient specialty social work supervisor. And we have Gigi Simmons, and she's the Healthcare for Homeless Vets program coordinator, and she's gonna have a lot of information about uh, how we are, you know, getting the vaccine out to our, our homeless vets. She has so. she
2: has papers all arrayed out in front of her and everything. <laughs> this is great.
1: So thank you for joining us, ladies. Happy to have you here. Um, mm-hmm. no, I have to excuse us in the background. We've yeah. got red flag training going on. Yep. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yep. They, they heard me almost introduce myself as a <laughs> as an airman still. <laughs> So, uh, you know, first talking a little bit about about COVID, uh, VA social workers, you know, they've maybe had to change up their routine during COVID, uh, you know, based on some of the restrictions that we've all been dealing with. You know, maybe not putting shots in arms, but they've had a critical role during the fight against the pandemic over the last year. Uh, In what ways has your team continued to provide care during this unprecedented time? I'll let you start with that one, Gigi. Okay.
3: Well, in the homeless program, it has definitely taken a, just a turn for doing something different than we normally do. Um, what we've done since COVID is that upon entry into any of our homeless programs, especially for our grant and per diem program and our contract programs, we are testing our veterans at admin for COVID testing right there at the Northeast Clinic. Um, once they're tested, then they go into a quarantine. Um, based on the program that they're going to. They go into quarantine for 24 to 48 hours, depending on the the time of the week that they get the test. And they're there until they're either, you know, the results are positive or negative. Now, of course we do the testing at the Northeast clinic for our healthcare eligible veterans, but the ones that are non healthcare eligible, those um, tests are done in the community. So we had to change up our routine at all because we didn't do that before. Um, now, we are always conscious of the infection level at our sites, and so we've had some outbreaks where we've had to go in and do mass testing, and when we do mass testing, we test everyone in a facility, the VA does for their healthcare eligible, and for the ones that are non-healthcare eligible, the program does in the community, but we have to go in, and we have to test everyone in the program that, is, um, that allows us to, because of course, you know, if they say no, we can't. But we have to do that for fourteen days straight, so that we can make sure that we don't have we have a zero um, neg- negatives. So for, I mean, but, sorry, zero positives.
1: Okay. So for those who you know, I, I didn't introduce this before, but you work at the Northeast Clinic. Yes. And the Northeast Clinic, for those who don't know, is. Uh, the area that probably has the largest percentage of, of homeless veterans. Mm-hmm. So you guys have a, kind of a unique mission when it comes to that, correct?
3: Well, we do because we are the hub for all the healthcare, the homeless programs. And so when a veteran wants to come into a homeless program, then they come into the Northeast Clinic, to our CIRC, which is the, the Community Resource and Referral Center. And we have social workers that are there that complete a complete housing assessment. And during that assessment, then, it's determined which program they will be eligible for. And then we have other social workers that go, um, that talk to them after that, and then get them involved or admitted into the program in the community. So it's a very intense process.
1: Now, for you, you know, with a lot of of our healthcare network, we, you know, we kind of rely on the veterans to come to us. You know, we, we try to let them know what services are available. But you guys kind of have to do a lot of legwork yourselves to try to get out there to find them, right?
3: We do. And our programs, our community programs at this time are doing the majority of our outreach. Um, We did have an outreach, that a very extensive outreach um, when I first came in about three years ago. We've kind of changed that a little bit. But we do have other resources that we're using to identify the veterans um, in the community. And so usually our programs are the ones that are referring them. And of course, we get people that are um, in other states and they want to come into um, our programs, they'll call in advance to see what's available or what how, what our process is, and then they'll come and get assessed.
2: Kind of in the same vein as, as that question, um, how big of a loss has, has things like not being able to do the veteran, the, the homeless stand downs and, and all of those things where that is an opportunity to get them to all come to you for a, you know, a, a one stop shop for all of the services that we try and hit them with. Um, how big of a loss ha- has that been? And what have you guys had to do to kind of fill in the gaps?
3: Well, that's been a huge loss. Um, because that is a pro, a time when, like you said, they could come to us. They could get not only homeless services from us, but they could get other resources because there are a lot of co- programs in the community that provide additional resources, not just, you know, transitional housing. So it's been a big loss. Um, actually, our census is down on in mo- a lot of our programs because we are haven't been going out doing that. So we're looking forward to that coming back.
1: So we'll get back to more, more information about the homeless program in a little bit. But Polly, I wanted to give you a chance to answer that first question. You How know, has things from the inpatient side uh, changed during the COVID pandemic?
4: Yeah, well, on the inpatient side, um, the social workers have actually been um, suiting up and going in and help facilitating um, FaceTime visits for the patients with COVID who are on the isolation ward. Um, they have been met with some challenges as far as discharge planning for people who need to remain in quarantine. We've been working with the Southern Nevada Health District um, uh, for those patients who uh, lack housing or lack appropriate um, means to self-quarantine or self-isolate at home. So they've been able to work with those community partners and those community resources to find the adequate uh, discharge um, housing for them. so they've been able to to do that on the inpatient ward to just kind of suit up, kind of be um, frontline staff, and and go in there and and work with those um, COVID positive patients. But also on the outpatient side, um, we have a team of social workers who are calling um, the COVID patients to make sure they're doing okay mentally as well as physically. They have the necessary necessary supplies for isolation. They have. Uh, food. They have, um, you know, they're able to adequately quarantine at home. They're safe. They're doing okay mentally. Um, just calling and doing some case management and some self-checks on them.
1: Yeah. You're talking about the inpatient. I, I remember we just recognized the, the one year anniversary of our first patient checking in and, you know, he spent about a month in a coma and, you know, once he was able to wake up, uh, one of your inpatient social workers was instrumental in, in getting him that, uh, you know, that iPad to, to make communication with his family and his, his kids. And, uh, you know, I remember how much that meant to him at that time. And, you know, just about a week ago, we had a chance to sit down and talk with him. Mm-hmm. And he expressed, you know, how, how important that was to be able to, you know, to see his kids and to see his family, even though he was, you know, kind of in this, you know, haze of waking up from a coma and being in a strange place where he didn't know anyone.
4: Absolutely. You know, visitation um, has been restricted here as well as other hospitals in the community. And, you know, visitation and seeing your family is really, you know, part of the healing process. And so that's been one way that we've been able to help the patient's be able to see their family is to really facilitate those FaceTime visits or Skype or, or whatever form of communication that they're able to use if they don't have um, the, the necessary programs for, for the FaceTime.
2: For, for, that kind of, uh, for that kind of work, mm-hmm. um, you know, obviously any kind of social work is hard because you're dealing with people that are usually in some sort of crisis. Mm-hmm. Um, but a, a lot of those FaceTime visits are facilitating last goodbyes. Uh, how much of a strain does that put on you guys? And, and is that something that you, you feel like you're prepared for? Like, that doesn't seem like that would be facilitating somebody saying goodbye to a loved one. Doesn't really seem like that falls under the umbrella of social work when, when, when I think about it.
4: Absolutely. So social workers have been able to go in and help, help do those. We also have um, nursing staff. We have um, our hospice care team. So there are a lot of different um, staff members that have been able to go in and help with that. Uh, we've also had uh, mental health staff that have been able to go around and help round um, to maybe help decompress with staff to, to help with those um, hard shifts that they've had. So we've been able to, to help do that. We've also had social workers help volunteer for for doing those mental health roundings with staff or even just the patients who are on the isolation ward because it becomes mental mentally tolling on them to be in isolation and maybe they don't have family to, to do those FaceTime visits with.
1: You know, with, with this month being Social Work Month, and that was kind of the, the original reason we wanted to even cover this topic was mm-hmm. to, you know, to address Social Work Month. And going through it, just this first five minutes, 10 minutes of this conversation, you know, we've touched on a breadth of different topics that you guys are responsible for, or that you guys help veterans with. You know, what else does social work do that, you know, isn't necessarily something that just you immediately think of?
3: Well, wow, we do, uh, gosh, we do so much. <laughs> we have so many different programs. Um, and of course, I'm gonna speak in for the homeless um, program, but we have social workers that work with assisting veterans to pr- get their social security, their SSI and SSDI um, social security claims processed. So those are called SOAR supervisors, I mean SOAR social workers. So we have a couple of those that really assist them in that process because as we know, that that can be quite daunting, (laughs) you know, to have to go through everything that you have to with that. So we have uh, social workers that assist with that. Uh, We have uh, social workers that, of course, assist with um, everything that has to do with homelessness, you know, and that is just a big part of what we do. We we case manage the so the uh, veterans that are in our homeless program, so we deal a lot with their mental health issues as well. And so we will do consults so that they can get into the different mental health programs. Um, we even have had an opportunity to do a lot of um, VA video um, video uh, sessions mm-hmm. with them. So because we aren't going into the program right now because of safety issues, so we are doing video. Um, chats with them as well. And so we've talked to them about losing family members to COVID. Our veterans have had a lot of fears. A lot of them deal with PTSD. And so this whole thing with COVID has really um, affected them in that area. So we've had to do a lot of mental health work ourselves, just in our normal sessions that we normally wouldn't, uh, just to help them to be able to cope with this, because especially if they're isolated because they did test positive, they can't go outside. And so we've had to really talk to them and just help them mentally with this whole thing.
2: Functionally, how does somebody who is, who is homeless isolate if they get COVID? And, and what do we do to help kind of get them to a, to a safe place to be able to do that so it doesn't spread throughout the rest of that community?
3: Well, that's the big part of our of our program is because once they come in and they're tested, then what we do is we partner with the community, the community, and they'll put them in an isolation or quarantine. And so our um, nursing staff, our HUDVASH nursing staff, will call and you know talk to them on a daily basis to see what their symptoms are, if they um, are symptomatic, and then also what we do is we keep them in that location, and so that we can keep them safe. And keep other people safe as well, and that's the whole thing of doing this mass testing. Because if we have one person that tests positive in a program, we mass test everyone, and we keep everyone pretty much isolated. Because if they say no, they don't want the test, because they do have that option. They have to isolate,
2: and and even that, you know most of the shelters are for all intents and purposes they're communal situations so yeah that seems like it would make it a lot harder to to do that
3: it's been very challenging we've had to come up with a lot of different strategies and those strategies can change at the drop of a hat you know one in the morning we may start off with one strategy and then we get a call from a program and then we have to change it so our community
2: partners have just been phenomenal in coming up with protocols for for both of you you know you just mentioned hey we've had to make changes um, are there any changes that you see that you've made because of COVID that will, will carry forward? You know, a, a lot of the stuff that we're doing, you know, wearing masks right now, you know, as soon as COVID declines, that's going to go away. So so are, is there anything that you you both have recognized that, hey, this, this is a better way of doing something um, and you know, that, that's going to carry forward after COVID's gone?
3: I have in our programs because, I'm sorry, no, I'm yeah. just jumping in. In our programs, before we we did not provide cell phones for our, our homeless veterans. Mm-hmm. And so we've had a lot of um, cell phones, smartphones donated. And so when um, someone comes into our program, we will give them a cell phone. And that's something that we're going to continue because that cell phone, since it is an iPhone, is going to allow them to do um, VA video conferencing. So we're doing a lot of video conferencing now. And I'm thinking that that is something that could continue um, to do, especially with hud bash. You know, they do a lot and we also do a lot in our program. So that's something that I know that we're gonna continue to give out the phones.
1: We're gonna take a quick break and we'll be back in a few minutes with some more information with our social work team.
0: You're listening to The Nine Line, a production of the VA Southern Nevada Healthcare System. We'll be back with more right after this.
5: COVID-19 has changed how we live and how we feel. We show up differently, worship differently, and have found new ways to express our love and support to family and friends. But now there are vaccines, and they are the first step that lets us get back into the things we miss most, like spreading the word without spreading concern, girls tripping instead of solo sipping, brunching instead of late night munching, and talking smack with a side of mac and cheese. It's okay to have questions about COVID-19 vaccines. Should I get it?
3: Should I wait? Is it safe? Can I trust it?
5: What about pre-existing conditions? Now get the facts. Visit GetVaccineAnswers.org so you can make an informed decision when COVID-19 vaccines are available to you. Brought to you by the Ad Council.
1: I didn't want to talk. She just sat with me. That was all I really needed.
3: We got back. One day he called me out of the blue. And it's comforting to know that I always can count on him to have my back. She called me from time to time. I really didn't think I needed any help.
0: It took me from being really depressed to feeling like somebody cared to give me some hope. Just that one text. Be there. Your call. Your presence.
5: Your words. Your support. Be there and help save a life. Learn more about preventing suicide at VeteransCrisisLine.net.
0: Welcome back to the Nine Line, Southern Nevada's source for veteran-related healthcare news and information. Here's your hosts, John Archiquette and Joshua Gray.
1: Welcome back to the Nine Line podcast. John and Josh here. Joining us, we have Gigi and Polly from our social work team. And, you know, we talk about a lot of things that social work does, but you know, you're not just dealing with dealing with one veteran when you're talking about these situations. A lot of times your social workers are actually maintaining a number of cases at one time, right? In the Absolutely. inpatient side, how many do you typically hold?
4: Well, so on a typical day, we have uh, three to four social workers at a time uh, to manage all the inpatient veterans that we have on the medical side of the house. And so each day, um, the social workers are managing discharges. They're doing... Uh, initial intake assessments, which includes a biopsychosocial to see if anyone needs any sort of community resources, if they have any questions about uh, VA benefits. Um, maybe they need uh, a follow-up appointment. Maybe they need to get connected with their PAC team. Uh, maybe they're outpatient social worker. Uh, maybe they need an advanced directive. So that's just a little bit of kind of what they're managing day-to-day aside from just regular discharge planning. Um, so, you know, they could have anywhere from, you know, 20 patients, um, on their ward at a time, depending on the bed census. And then on an outpatient side in the specialty clinics, you know, we have one social worker for the oncology clinic, transplant coordinator, the dialysis unit, uh, and then the surgery social worker as well, managing the outpatient surgery. And then we have uh, primary care social workers who manage um all of their primary care providers panels as well
1: okay and how about the homeless team well the
3: homeless team our caseload can go from you know 18 20 to up to 75 depending on the program um the uh, soar social workers maybe about 20. we do have some social workers that cover the contracts for emergency resident services thus veterans that are gonna be in that program maybe for 60 to 90 days. So we have about 18 um, on their caseload. Somewhere in the middle is HUD-VASH, they may have about 30, but in the grant and per diem program, then we will have at least about 75 on our caseload. And so what we do with those veterans, those veterans can tend to be in the program on average nationally, and and I'm going to say GPD because that's the acronym for granted per diem. In a GPD program, the average national stay in that program is six months. However, that program, a person can be in there from... you know,
2: day one up to two years, depending on what they need. When you say grant and per diem, what, what exactly does that mean? You've used the term a lot, and, okay. and I'm, I hear it a lot, and I'm not exactly sure what exactly mm-hmm. it means.
3: Well, the, a, there are program fees associated with that program. And so the veteran pays a portion of their income to the program fees, and then the VA pays the additional part of the program fees. And so that's why we call it grant and per diem, because part of it is a grant, part of it is per diem.
2: So what, what kind of programs are normally within that kind of that uh, grant and per diem program?
3: So it's a transitional to permanent housing. So we have mm, probably about four of those community partners that administer that program. So some of the housing, transitional housing, that program could be a studio apartment, or it could be um, shared living with four um, veterans in a in a unit, in a, uh, in actually in a room. And so with that program, like I said, it's, these are people that could have mental health and substance abuse issues. So they may be in the clinical portion of that program. It could be um, veterans that are in bridge housing, which means that they have a voucher. And so we're just going to transitionally house them until they get the voucher and get their housing. So they're typically going to be in a program like that, maybe for, you know, maybe 60 to 90 days. And then we have some that are service intensive where they come in. They may not have any ID or anything. And so we're going to have to get them their birth certificate to get their ID and then get them a job and things like that. So it could take a lot longer, especially in COVID times, because everything takes longer. So in that program, though, we do have three goals. And the three goals is first is um, for them to have uh, be connected to a physical, mental and medical health. Okay. So that's one component. So they have to have health care. Now, some of them do not have VA medical, but they do have they can get um, resources out in the community. So we make sure that if they do not have VA medical, that they get connected to resources in the community. And of course, if they have VA medical, we make sure that they have, you know, our seen mental and for me- medical and mental health. The second part is income, because if you come in and you don't have any income, of course, we need to help you to get income. So we have programs that have uh, workforce development, Um, Some veterans may want to go and do a trade. We've had uh, quite a few veterans to go into the um, truck driving uh, training because that's real big right now. And so we help them to get income. Our social workers will assist them as well in getting uh, income through the benefits of Social Security, or if they are eligible for VA um, benefits, you know, service connection, then we steer them in the right direction. And then the last uh, part of the goal is housing. So then after they have all of that met, and then we can start to work with them to get into permanent housing. So we see the the social workers in that program are called liaisons. And what they do is oversee that program. That's why their caseload is so big, because the program case managers do all of the lead work. And what the liaisons do is actually oversee that program. And so they really kind of connect with those um, veterans once a month to make sure that everyone is doing what they should do.
1: So a lot of what you guys do probably relies on kind of keeping up with the veteran and checking back in with them to make sure that, you know, things are all going well. Of
3: course. And that can be quite challenging um, because, you know, of course, they are free to roam and sometimes they may come and they they have to sign in every night because we are accountable for that because we are paying for that bed. And so, um discharging is a big thing, you know, because we want to know when we discharge them, because the goal is to discharge them to permanent housing. That could be permanent housing here, or they may decide that they want to go back to um, another state so that they can have the resources and the support of their family. So we have a program that also helps them to transition back to their um, original home. So it is, it's a lot of work that goes into it.
1: As a social worker, I'm assuming, especially some of these cases where you you work with them for an extended period of time, do you start to, you know, kind of root for this person or do you, do you have like a vested interest in making sure that they're, you know, not even just on a VA level, but, you know, like... You want to see this person do well, right?
3: Oh, of course. And I, before becoming the coordinator, I actually was a and per diem liaison. So I've actually done that job and also on the contract side. So I've done both of the programs that I now manage. But one in particular, I remember he was in our program for two years for granted per diem. And the reason he was in there so long is because he was getting the hours that he needed for his barber license. And I never realized that you needed to have so many hours. <laughs> and so we timed it where it was right on the two year time, because if you go have to go over two years, it has to be approved nationally. So we were able to um, get him right there and we were really rooting for him. He got his hours and then he set for the exam. And I remember the day he set for his exam was on a Saturday and I was really, really rooting for him. So he ended up, of course, passing his exam. He uh, continued to work at the barber shop that he had gotten his hours, and we got him permitted housing. So those are some of the success stories.
1: That's great. Yeah. Is it tough when you see veterans that kind of have to start over again several times?
3: Well, we have a lot of people that come over and over and over again. You know, I've seen that a lot, especially working in both programs. And I remember the names. And, you know, we have a lot of veterans that they really deal with the severe mental health issues and substance abuse. Mm -hmm. And so with those programs, you know, you have to really be um, compliant with your medications, um, compliant with treatment, because of course we have our own substance abuse treatment at the VA and, and for healthcare eligible and the ones that are not in the community. So yes, you do see the people that repeat over and over again, and the thing is, is that we're going to help them every time because none of us are perfect, right? Yeah. And so we always are willing to help them over and over again.
1: So going back to some of the inpatient stuff we were talking about before, you had um, brought up direct, or excuse me, um, discharge planning. Mm-hmm. So you know, from a clinical side of things, it's always about you know trying to to make the veteran well enough to you know leave inpatient care. But for you guys. You know you have a lot of stuff you have to do before discharge and of course following what are some of the things that go into that
4: absolutely so depending on the medical reason that the the veteran comes to the hospital we kind of have to make sure that they have the appropriate level of care for discharge and social work doesn't necessarily determine that we kind of get our discharge orders from the provider and um, the full workups that go on from the ancillary services, such as physical therapy, occupational therapy, maybe psychiatry, depending on um, the needs of the veteran. So based off of those assessments, we would then, um, you know, kind of do an interdisciplinary team approach and figure out what is going to be the the best level of care for the veteran. So if the veteran needs a nursing home, uh, level of care. We would then work with the community nursing home uh, program if they're eligible for that criteria, or we would work with their um, private insurance if they have it. Um, and if they don't have the private insurance, then that's something that we would work with them to maybe achieve through uh, Medicaid. And um, to try to get that insurance in order to get them that uh, nursing home placement that they need. If not, then we would work with um, our nursing case managers to see if they would be appropriate for uh, home health to be discharged home. Uh, and then that would that would work as long as it's safe. And then if not, we would work maybe for a group home placement if that was an appropriate level of care too. But we always do a team approach with the medical team upstairs, we talk with the doctors, the nurses, um, the physical therapy, occupational therapy, to ensure that the veteran's going to the appropriate level of care for discharge. Well,
2: one of the things I've learned in the the couple of years that I've worked here for the VA, like mm-hmm. we had the primary care, uh, a couple of folks from primary care on the podcast on our last episode, yeah. and them talking about what they do, it's it's nothing like what you see out in a in a in a, a hospital or a medical system out in the in the community so uh, what you do and what you were just talking about with like uh, all of that planning post discharge and, and and discharge planning how common is that in normal hospital settings or is that something that's unique to the va also
4: so what's you unique to the va would be our um, geriatric extended care programs and our um, cnh program which is our community nursing home program uh even the community Hospitals would contact us if a veteran is eligible for that program, because we we help place veterans who are eligible for those services um, through the CNH program in our contract nursing homes, and so that's unique to our VA healthcare system.
1: But even just some of the, you know the interoperability we have between, between departments. Like, Mm -hmm. so for example, if, if you had a veteran, an inpatient and, you know, during the process of planning for their discharge, find out that that veteran is homeless, Mm -hmm. would you guys do a warm handoff to the, the homeless team then?
4: Absolutely. Gigi and I have lots of phone conversations about veterans.
1: Okay. That's, I mean, that's something that I would imagine is, you know, works smoothly in the VA compared to the outside world, because a lot of times you're going to have to go through two separate companies or two separate, mm-hmm. you know, healthcare systems to be able to achieve that. Are, are social workers
2: generally this integrated into a, into a hospital, though? Like, like downtown, do they have social workers that do the same kind of things that, that you do?
4: So there are social workers um, at community hospitals. Um, I can't speak to what they do at the community hospitals. I haven't worked at a community hospital. Um, But I do know that there are social workers at community hospitals.
3: I think the one thing that's really unique about the VA to me is that we really focus on the different populations Mm -hmm. of our veterans. And we know that we have a very large homeless population. We know that we have a very large um, population of veterans with mental health and substance abuse issues. Um, so, I think that we just have those programs that are unique, and our continuity of service is very good, like you were talking about the warm handoffs mm-hmm. and the things like that. So, we have a very tight referral process.
4: Well, and even our um, TCM program, um, our transition and care management program um, for our OEF, OIF, and OND veterans. Um, We have a large population of them transitioning out of active duty life to veteran life. We have um, a program for that as well. And so, I mean, social workers kind of spread everywhere throughout the VA.
1: And that's, for anybody who's, who isn't aware I'm of the sorry. OEF, OIF, I mean, that's veterans who, like, you know, our, our age group our who age, are just yeah. leaving the military as opposed to, you know, some of the, the Vietnam veterans that are older or demographic.
2: I do appreciate being lumped in, having retired from the
1: military five years ago as, <laughs>
2: quote unquote, just leaving. Thank you.
1: I mean, I, I see myself as having just left, even though I look at it as like, oh, that's three years ago. Right. So. Still introducing myself (laughs) by my rank sometimes.
2: (laughs) So Gigi, a a quick question for you. So the springtime every year is generally when that place and time count gets done. Um, and that's a big thing for doing what you guys do, because that that determines not just here here locally at, at our facility, but, you know, for the entire Clark County and for the city funding and staffing from the federal government and a whole bunch of different things, um, because we do that census of how many homeless people there actually are here in Las Vegas. Um, going back to kind of the impacts of covid. um, is, what's the plan for the pit count? Has it already happened? Um, because normally we are, are riding along on that kind of a thing and I haven't heard anybody mention anything about it. So uh, what's the plan for that and how do you go forward um, based off of that?
3: Well, I know that we didn't do it last year because we were right in the middle of it in the fall time because we just talked about that. So we are really looking at how that's going to look this year. You know, uh, because you're right, it is in the spring. And when I first came to the VA, uh, I had an opportunity to go along with that. And it's it's very interesting as to how we're out in the early mornings, middle of the nights, where we go in order and partner with the community to do that. So that is going to be something that we're going to continue to do. We just don't. We have to look at it as a new normal way of doing it.
2: Yeah, and it's hard enough to do it under normal circumstances, because you're literally canvassing the entire city, street by street, corner by corner, trying to find people, you know, so. There's I, a lot of I, protocol. Just, yeah, I just mm-hmm. imagine it'd be much, much harder nowadays, mm-hmm. you know.
3: Safety and everything, because mm-hmm. we have so many different protocols, even when we are transporting veterans, you know, of course, it's six feet. We may have a 30-seat um, bus that we use to transport, but we can only do half of that, so it's 15. So there's a lot of protocol safety issues concerned, and I know that that's going to be going on in the planning of the pit count.
1: Well, ladies, thank you very much for joining us today. I really appreciate it and uh, happy Social Work Month. Um, Before we get going, I just want to make sure that uh, I remind everyone that the VA Medical Center here in North Las Vegas is now doing all ages for the COVID vaccine. So if you have not gotten your COVID vaccine yet and you're interested, come on down. Our walk-in clinics are available weekdays from 7.30 until 4 o'clock p.m. And if you'd like to make an appointment, we have an appointment line available as well. Check our website. And uh, we also are offering at our, our appointments at our PCCs. So, thank you, ladies, for joining us. Thank you, Josh, for joining me as, as always. As always. <laughs> uh, we will talk to you all next week.
0: You've been listening to The Nine Line, a production of the VA Southern Nevada Healthcare System. For more information about what the VA is doing for Nevada's veterans, check out our official webpage at www.lasvegas.va.gov or follow us on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash LasVegasVA. Thanks for listening.